Could I also say it's an honor to be here today? I've been here in the East Coast for a couple of weeks already. Andrew and I have some things in common and some things in contrast. He mentioned uh, Trinidad and Canada, but I want to tell you something. His roots are the Emerald Isle of Ireland. Something that we have in contrast is he has hair on his head, and I haven't. But something we have in common is the ministry. I want to follow up in some measure in what our brother has said. I'll just read one passage, and when you, I've read it, I want you to keep your Bible open, because we will look at the detail of the text. Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having, I'm going to give it to you literally, and having a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, literally the hope, the profession or confession of our hope, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now that will do for the reading. May God bless it to all our hearts. Now this great epistle to the Hebrews from which you've heard already this morning, in chapters 1 and verse 1 right through to chapter 10 and verse 18, what we have is primarily doctrinal. Then from this verse 19 of chapter 10 where we commenced our reading in this particular word of ministry to the end of the epistle, it's primarily Practical. My beloved saints, that's the pattern of Scripture. Practice must be based on doctrine, based on the teaching. Let me give you one or two things that maybe would be very interesting. Let me give you a couple of texts of Scripture from chapter 5. And they, they actually sum up the theme of the epistle. 
Chapter 5 and verse 5. Thou art my son. That's his person. Then the next verse. 6 of chapter 5. Thou art a priest. That's his work. This epistle is all about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all about his work. Two more important maybe texts which will underscore the principal theme of the letter. You've been hearing about our great high priest. Well, I think again of chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us go forth, therefore, let us, sorry, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, beloved saints, that's inside the veil. This epistle tells us a lot about inside the veil. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace inside the veil. Then 13 and verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp. Inside the veil, outside the camp. Going in, going out. That's primarily what this letter is all about. Now I could say a lot more about it, but one thing we can say When you think of those earlier sections of the letter, we have all the shadows, the pictures, the types, the sacrifices associated with the Levitical system and the tabernacle. All they did, and they had a function. They pointed, pointed very specifically to the supremacy and all sufficiency of the person, the priesthood, the provision and the present position of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in view of all those things, we should be willing to heed the exhortations in this latter part of the epistle. Now, very simply, even in the verses that we have read together, the first exhortation is in verse 22, let us draw near. The next one in verse 23 is let us hold fast. And then we have, let us consider not one another in verse 24. You can't separate verses 24 and 25. We'll we'll say a wee little bit about that later. Now, let let me say this to you, just this little section we've read together. Could could I sort of quickly, quickly divide it up for you? In verses 19 to 25, well, of course, we have the exhortations. Then we subdivide that. 19 to 22, by the way, 19 to 22, four verses. Do you understand it's all one sentence? That's very important to get a hold of that, showing how interlinked these four verses are. 19 to 22 comprise one sentence. Now, 19 to 22, well, the exhortation is to draw near. Then we subdivide that at the beginning of verse 19. Well, there's an entrance. You have the entrance. Boldness to enter. You can't draw near if there's not an entrance. Then the last part of verse 19, we have the means. It's the blood of Jesus. We come further down to verse number 20. We have the way. It's the new and living way. We look a little bit further down to verse number 21. The beginning of the verse, having a high priest, that's the person. That's the person, the great high priest. And then in verse 21, the end of the verse, the house of God, that's the place. We come down to verse number 22. We have the preparation. Your mention of hearts, conscience, and bodies. We'll deal with that in a moment or two. Now, we come to verse 23. 
We have the exhortation. Hold fast the hope. I know the word faith here in our good authorized, but it's really the word, the hope. Verse 24, the exhortation is to exhibit love. To exhibit love. And in verse 25, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now let's come to the detail, please. That's why I invited you to keep your Bible open. Come to verse number 19. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness. Now the word, therefore, Wherefore, therefore, is a common word in the epistle of Hebrews. And it shows what he's just going to say now is linked to what has gone before. I would even contend it's linked to all of the earlier section of the Hebrews. But in particular, this word having therefore, it's linked to the first 18 verses of this chapter. Now let's take a little look at that, please. There's three things I want you to notice in those earlier verses. Come with me down to verse number... To verse number... 7, verse number 7. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do, notice please, thy will. O God, we have the will of God. Look again please, the beginning of verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Crucially, we have the will of God. Now look further down please. Verse number 10. By the which will, notice this is God's will now, following through, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So in 10, 12 and 14, we have the work of a son. The will of God and the work of a son. Now look please at verse number 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, also is a witness to us. Put the three together. We have the will of God accomplished through the work of a son. Born testimony to by the Spirit of God. Now, beloved saints, when we think of all those things, those three great dimensions, the will of God, the work of Christ, and the witness of the Spirit, how could we not heed this exhortation? God has made such provision for us. Let's look at the detail now, please. 19 again. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to Enter into the holiest. We'll just stop there for a moment. I want you to think of this this word, boldness. It's not brashness. Not at all. This word has everything to do with confidence. It even comes from the idea, listen to it please, freedom of speech. That's very relevant because we're talking about going in. And when we go in, we have freedom of speech. Maybe I better clarify that. It's freedom to speak in the holiest of all. I distinguish a little bit between freedom to speak and freedom of speech. I, when I go into God's presence, I mustn't be flippant and careless in my language. I don't borrow the language of the world. 
No, no, I've got freedom to speak. But I don't need the lingo of the world when I go into God's presence. Look again, please, this idea of bold. You see, you had it back in chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Onto, it's with confidence. Now, do we understand what we're really reading here? Boldly, notice please, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. To enter. Into. The holiest. Now remember what the previous section of the epistle is all about. The typical language of the tabernacle. Do we understand this privilege that we have? And, and incidentally, we'll see in a moment there are two primary reasons given for our boldness, our confidence. We'll just leave that for the moment. Here's what I want you to think about. In the tabernacle, the priests function between the two veils. They gone in through the first veil where the table of showbread was, the golden altar of incense. You know all about that. All that was in that first compartment, the holy place. There wasn't a single priest allowed to go into the holiest of all. Only the high priest. And only on one day in the year. And not without blood. They dare not have gone in those priests into the holiest of all that would have died. And Aaron dare not have gone in except on the great day of atonement. Brethren and sisters, we can go in every day. We can go in any day. We can go in any time. Since I've arrived in the USA, I've heard of people who have been sick and who are sick some have gone home to glory. Maybe last night you lay in your bed and you rested and you couldn't sleep. And you know what you did? You just went into the holiest of all and shared your burden with Him. You have confidence to do that. We'll see the reasons in a moment. They dare not have gone into the holiest of all. Now what I'm coming to is this, beloved saints. In view of this great liberty that we have, How come we're not using it more often? Let's keep moving now. Time goes very quickly. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Notice, please. By the blood of Jesus. I love this. Do you see down in verse number, uh, at the end of verse number 20, you read about his flesh. And now here in verse number 19, we read about the blood of Jesus. And that's the right order, by the way. We were hearing earlier in chapter 2, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, it's actually literally blood and flesh. Here in this passage, it's blood and flesh. That's the order. And we enter in <coughs> by the blood of Jesus. Look back to chapter 9, just on that score for one quick moment, please. Chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption by us. Did you know his blood? His blood is mentioned seven times in the epistle to the Hebrews. I have no right of access whatsoever into God's presence apart 
from the blood of Jesus, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, called in chapter 9 and verse 12, His own blood. We were hearing about the high priests from Aaron until Jerusalem and the temple. Jerusalem was overrun and the temple destroyed in AD 70. I understand there were 83 high priests. As our dear brother Andrew said, from the day God saved him, he's still dealing with the same high priest. And, and we, when we have gone, he'll still be there. He's a non-transferable priesthood. He continueth ever. Now let's come back to our verse again. By the blood of Jesus. Now look what it says next. Very interesting. By a new, two things are said here, and we mustn't rush it. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated, or the idea is inaugurated, I think you're, maybe some of you, maybe of a Newbury Bible, you'll see that. Which he hath inaugurated for us through the veil that is to his flesh. Now let's take the beginning of this, verse 20. By a new and living way. Now here's the point, beloved saints. You see in verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. You cannot enter unless there's a way. You can't go in unless there's a way in. There's got to be access. Well, here we have it in verse number 20. By a new and living way. Two things, new and living. I love this word new. It's a very important one. The idea is freshly made. You know, when the letter to the Hebrews was written this way, it wasn't very long opened up. You have an adverb at the beginning of Acts chapter 18 and verse 2 concerning Aquila. It says, lately come from Italy. That's the word you have here. This way was lately made. It was recently made. It didn't exist before. I've already said to you, the Old Testament priests couldn't go in. Why? Because the way wasn't opened up. But now, beloved saints, there's a recently made, a new, lately made, a new, and notice please, living way. I thought Andrew's going to take my message from me entirely today, but I made up my mind I'm staying with what God has laid upon my heart. You know, it is very interesting. It's a living way. Hmm. I love that. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the living way. John 6 and 51, I am the living bread. You see, everything about him is living. What are we? 1 Peter 2, 5, we're living stones. What have we got? 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, we have a living hope. You see, everything about him is living. And I was thinking of the verse that our brother has already read. I am he that liveth and became dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. This is the living way. The new and living way. Now, beloved saints, are you using it? That's the whole point, you see. Are we accessing it? We've good reason to do it. It's been made available to us. Did you go into the holiest of all today before you came to the conference? Even a little time on your knees? Imagine, no. Oh dear, dear. But did you not know that you have boldness to go in? To enter in by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. It's all done. It's opened up for you. 
Maybe that's why we're not seeing the work done among us that we want to see done because we're not going into the holiest of all often enough. Look again, please. By the new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to see his flesh. Now, just a brief comment there. You see, this term, his flesh, does it qualify the expression, the veil? Likely most people think that. I don't think that. Or does it qualify the beginning of the verse, the new and living way? I'm inclined to think it qualifies the new and living way. Some will say, you see the veil. Well, on the cross, his, his body was rent, his flesh was rent. But that's not mentioned here. So we don't need to introduce that. It's a new and it's the living way uh, which he inaugurated for us. Notice, please, it's all for us. It's for us. We've been hearing already what he's done for us on the cross. What he's currently doing for us. And we could go further and speak of what, what he will yet do for us. But anyway, let's keep moving. I want you to come, please, to verse number 21. Now, I said to you, there are two reasons for this confidence or boldness. Reason number one. Very simple, beloved saints. There's a way in. There's a way in. That's why you should be confident and bold about it. I've said not brash, but bold. There he is made a way in. Ah, but there's a second reason why we should exercise this confidence and enter in. Reason number one, there's a way in. Reason number two, when you go in, there's someone there for us already. With a friend in there. Someone special. I've never seen him. Isn't it amazing? I've never seen him, but he's everything to me. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. When you go, there's a way in. Reason number one for confidence. When you go in, you've got a friend who's already in there. And that's what this verse says, number 20. Verse 21. Having a great high priest. Now, you know, it's very interesting. The first reference to, to this is in chapter 2 and verse 17. This might be the last reference. You, you know, to his, to his great high priesthood. But anyway, leaving that aside, having a great high priest, notice please, over the house of God. I take it this is in contrast to the tabernacle. Very interesting. In chapter 3, you know what you read there? Moses was faithful as a servant in all the house. I take it that's a reference to the tabernacle. He was a servant. Now, it's a different, not the usual word for servant. Servant of dignity and high rank, but he was still a servant. And he was in the house. But Christ, as a son over the house, whose house are we? Oh, I love this. Now, brethren and sisters, I hope you'll agree with me interpretation-wise here. We may ask, I mean, what is the house of God here? It's not the local assembly. Could I make that clear? Oh, we'll get the local assembly. It'll come before the end of this chapter. It'll come again, chapter 13 and so on. But really, I, I take it the idea here is, now, and this is a very important thing for us to grasp, and that is any true believer anywhere in this world, even if there's not an assembly, can enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. 
Sherwin brethren went out as missionaries. They went out to where things were really dark and and scarcely anybody at all saved. And they preached the gospel. They saw them saved, baptized, and an assembly was established. But those dear brethren, before they ever saw that done every day and night, they were going into the holiest of all. I'm going to leave that. But we've got to keep moving. I want you to come, please, to verse number 20, um, 22. Now, in my judgment, this is the key verse in the whole section. Let us draw near. Isn't that wonderful? That verb to draw near means just what you have in chapter 4 and verse 16. It's really the verb to come. You know there, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. 7 and 25, you know he's able to save to the uttermost all them that come. Same word unto God by him. Chapter 11 and verse 6, I love it. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's the same expression here. So it's really, um, verse 22, it's really, let us come near. Now, that's the exhortation. Now, this is an important verse. There's a fourfold statement, which is not, in my judgment, part of the exhortation. The exhortation's at the beginning of the verse, and it's the central exhortation, really, strictly speaking, in this whole section. And that is, let us draw near. Now, why wouldn't we draw near? There's an entrance, there's a way in, the blood of Jesus. And when we get in, we have a great high priest there. Now, in view of all of that, especially that second one, you know, we've been looking at it, haven't we? Verse 21, and having an high priest over the house. Imagine that, what we have. Well, then, in view of that, let's draw near. Now, let us draw near with a true heart. Now, we have a full, full, full statement. And I don't believe it's part of the exhortation. Rather, the fourfold statement is descriptive of those who draw near or those who come to the throne of grace, those who come into his presence. Now, let's take a quick look at it, please. Um, let us draw near with a true heart. Now, that's interesting. If you were to go back to chapter 8, is it verse 2? You have the true tabernacle. The Lord built it, you know, not the tabernacle on earth. No, no, we're now linked to the true tabernacle. And those of us who go in, will go in with a true heart. Just look back to chapter 9 again, please. Just uh, pick up a verse here, please. Chapter 9. Um, how much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ, can't get, I told you seven times his blood is mentioned, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. Now back, please, to verse number 22. 20, 22. Now, a true heart. I take it this is absolute genuineness, sincerity, integrity. That's the characteristic of all who draw near. Look what follows, please. Um, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, that's an important expression. In fullness of faith. Well, what's that got to do? Is that the faith that saved me? No, no, we, our brother's been talking. That's a very important faith. I'll never, never, ever will I forget the night I got saved. I can never forget it. So thankful to God for it. What is this fullness of faith? And here's what it is. Absolute faith and confidence 
that there's a way in. There is a way in. And it's got a basis. It's the blood of Jesus. An absolute faith and confidence that when we go in, our great high priest is already there. That's the fullness of faith. That's the characteristic, all who draw near. When you maybe get down on your knees at the side of your bed and the door's shut, and you know, you go and you do it. Now come in, come my dear friend, you go in with boldness, with total fullness of faith that you've got away in. And when you go in, there's already the great high priest is there for you. I think that's the idea. You notice, please, fullness of faith. And then again, look, um, now your heart's sprinkled. So the heart's mentioned again here. Your heart's sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now look back again. It's really this that I meant to, re- meant to read 9. Look back to 9 and, and 14 again, please. Heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now 9 and 14. How much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? Purge your conscience. I love it. From dead works to serve the living God. So we have consciences purged. And so in verse number 22, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And notice what it says, and our bodies washed. Now it may well be that what the writer to the Hebrews had in mind would be Exodus 29 and Leviticus 8, the consecration of the priesthood, and the priests and Aaron and so on. Uh, but then notice the bodies. Washed. This may well be a reference to the idea of the labor. Because you know that Aaron, the, the, the once for all washing at their consecration for the priesthood, but then on a regular basis, you had to wash their hands and their feet before going into the holy place. Now notice, please, your heart, that's inward. Your bodies, that's outward. We need to keep the inward and outward aspects of our lives in check when we think of going into the holiest of all. Now, now I want you to notice, please, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession, I love this, the confession of the hope without wavering for faith, for he is faithful at promise. Now, let's just take a look at this for a moment, please. Let us hold fast the Confession of the hope. Now, I think you'll find Darby and Newbury and all will endorse this. It's really the hope. Now, this is interesting. In the first exhortation, in verse 22, let us draw near. The emphasis there is on faith. Now we come to the second exhortation, let us hold fast. The emphasis there is on the hope. And you come to the third exhortation in verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love. So in the first one, the emphasis, let us draw near, the emphasis on faith. Let us hold fast, the emphasis on the hope. And let us consider what the emphasis is on love. There you have the little beautiful triad of Scripture, frequently mentioned together. First Peter 5, Romans, oh, I'm not going to it all. So many epistles mentioned faith, hope, and love. Now let's come back to our verse, please. Let us hold fast. Now, dear brother, dear sister, I want you to think of something very carefully. Why did it not say, why did it not give this exhortation before it said, let us draw near? Well, I take it that's very easily explained. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? 
I will find it much easier to hold fast if first of all I'm drawing near. It'll be hard to go through life and in the assembly of God's people and hold fast and we should do that. I want to tell you it'll be difficult to do it if we're not drawing near. Divine order is a great thing in the Bible. Dear brother, dear sister, even before you go out to work in the day, draw near so that you may be able to hold fast. Now notice what it says, please. Let us hold fast the profession of the faith, of the hope, sorry, the hope, without wavering. Now what is the hope? Well, is it all future? I don't necessarily think it's all future. It's really Christ. All that he is to us, all he's done for us, all he's doing for us, and certainly it is the great future dimension. Do you know what's often interesting? The great antidote, one great antidote to suffering and persecution is the hope. It is taken, can I say it? It is taken many a beloved saint, child of God, to the stake to be burned because they believed in the hope. What a hope we have. The hope set before us. What a hope it is. Now, let's look on, please. I I want us to notice the end of this verse. You notice what it says here at the end of verse 23. It says, without wavering. Oh. So we could waver. Well, you know what the very interesting thing is without wavering here? In the context here, it's got nothing to do with you getting a bit wobbly. Or maybe not doing as well as our brother told us about the young brother with whom he's in an exchange of emails. That's not the idea here. I love this. It's in the context of the hope. And what is the way does the verse end? For faithful. Notice what it says. Faithful is he that promised. That's why we don't need to waver. He will never relent on a single promise. So we don't need to waver. That's the idea. In fact, it's not unrelated maybe to the previous verse. Let us draw near in fullness of faith. We don't need a waver. And then, I love this, let us hold fast the confession of the hope. We don't need a waver. Because God will deliver on all His promises. He always has. He always will. And He faithful, notice what it says, for faithful without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Now, I've got to leave that. Our time's going very quickly. Now, I want you to notice, please, I would contend very strongly that you cannot separate 24 and 25. In fact, you don't even have a full stop at the end of verse 24. I think it's maybe a semicolon. So it's all one sentence in that sense of the word. Now, let's take a look at it, please. Let us consider one another. Mind you, dear brother, dear sister, how could you go into the holiest of all? How could you do it and come out and war with your brethren? How could you go into the holy of holies 
in the presence of the one who loved us and gave himself for us and is currently engaged for us, not only as advocate, but as our great high priest. How could I do that and then get up and be offensive to my beloved saints? Now, notice what it says. This is the third exhortation. Let us consider one another. You know, that's very interesting. You see that... um, Let us consider to you its present continuous tense. This is something you keep on doing. You don't relent on it. Let us consider, notice what it says, let us consider one another. I love this. Look at chapter 13 at the beginning of the chapter, just for a moment, please, to emphasize this. Chapter 13 and verse 1. Let brotherly love continue, continue. And here it is, present continuous tense. Let us consider one another to provoke. Now, provoke is often used in a negative sense. Here it's positive. I mean, love is not easily provoked. It's not used in that sense here. It's used in the sense of a positive sense to stimulate. Yeah, get a hold of this, dear brother, dear sister. In your engagements with your, your fellow believers and your conversations with them, and maybe you meet with them. Do we spend any time, do we spend any time considering one another to stimulate, now notice please, unto love and to good works. I love that. You can't separate good works from love. My blessed Lord, Acts 10 and 38, he went about doing good. The rogue unto love, do you know what I think about? I think of the Lord's teaching in John's Gospel, the Upper Room Ministry, chapter 13 and is it verse 15? 35 minutes. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. See, the outcome of all of this is the expression and the stimulation of love. Now notice, and good works. You remember Paul writing to Titus chapter 1? Oh, I love it. Zealous of good works. Showing thyself a pattern of good works. You just can't. Now look at a contrast, please. Look at a contrast. Flick back to chapter 9 again, please. And verse 14 again. This is a great pivotal verse for me today. How much more, (coughs) how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? Dead works. We are finished, hopefully, with dead works. And we're now actively engaged in good works. Revoke unto love and to good works. It's interesting, our brother was reading. If you take the letter to the church at Ephesus, very, very interesting. You remember, I know thy works. Labor. Patience. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, it was a work of faith. It was a labor of love. It was patience of hope. But those three descriptive terms are missing in the letter to the church at Ephesus. Oh, there are works, but not of faith, not mentioned. Labor, ah, but no mention of love. Patience, no mention of the hope. What was wrong? Thus left thy first love. My brethren and sisters, we should do all we can in our exchanges to promote and to stimulate one another to love and to good works. Now, the reason I say it is inextricably linked with verse 25, very simple. How, when are you going to do this? When are you going to fulfill verse 24? 
I mean, how are you going to do it? Going out and standing in the street with a loud hailer, calling to your brethren across the street. You do it in the context of the assembly. See, the two are linked. I'll put it to you this way. If you leave the assembly, you're going to bother doing verse 24. Because notice it's a continuation of the sentence. Look, let's read the two of them together. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking. The assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some is. You see, if you're not meeting with the saints, when are, you going to, when are you going to provoke or stimulate one another to love and to good works if you're not there? Hmm. You see, this word assembly here, the assembling, it's particularly the word synagogue, with a wee prefix epi in front of it. Epi-synagoguing. Now, some feel that there's a reason for that. And that is what had actually happened is some of these saints had gone back to synagoguing with their fellow Jewish nationals and neglected the epi-synagoguing with the saints. Oh, beloved saints. I I love this. Not forsaking. Could I give you a very good reason why you shouldn't forsake the assembly or the assembly meeting? It's in this epistle. You needn't turn to it. What's the promise at the end of verse 5 of chapter 13? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Imagine, he will never forsake us. Are we going to forsake the assembly? I hope not. I didn't have an assembly background. I believe in the assembly with all my heart. He, he makes a promise. Now, I, I would never, incidentally, brethren, in spite of what I've just said to you, could I say something to you? I would never say, I will never leave the assembly. I'll say, I should never. And by God's grace, I won't leave it. But you see, it's interesting. He can say, I was reading this recently in connection with Joshua 1, because he said to Joshua, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. The book of Deuteronomy and even even Moses, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. We see, he could say that. You know why? Faithful is he that promised. See, he could say, I'll never forsake you. Well, he can say that because he's always as good as his word. I want to be as good as my word, but I need God's help. And I need this high priestly ministry we've been hearing about. And I need his advocacy because really I'm a wretched creature. Just saved by grace. And I need God's help every day. Now just come back. I'm almost finished. And the time's getting to toward 12 anyway. Look again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now notice please. Get a grip of that please. I I was saying to a dear sister the other day here here, here in, in, in the USA. I said, by all means, read your Bible. We must read the Bible. Now, I may shock you a little bit when I say that's not enough. You need to read it, but then you need to meditate. You need to cogitate. You need to reflect. I love Psalm 119 and verse 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches. What is he saying? When others are sleeping, I'm not sleeping. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy law. 
That's more than reading. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I'm saying to you, beloved saints, read your Bible, but meditate on what you read. Reflect on the Scriptures. Go over every verse again. Think about what you've read and, and the interconnection of these beautiful verses. Now, here's what I wanted to say, apropos all that little statement there. Do you see this word together? Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Brethren and sisters, do you know that part of your salvation is not only entering in, drawing near, and holding fast, and provoking one another unto love. Do you know what it is? It's togetherness. We need each other. And if someone forsakes the assembly, it's to their own woe and and disadvantage and potential peril. But it's to the disadvantage of those who don't forsake the assembly. We all need each other. We all need each other. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. You know, I'll just tell you this now. And I won't go over 12 o'clock. Um... Because somebody's likely to shout, oh, but it's, it's lunchtime. But don't worry about that. I have an awful sense of humor, you know. I saw a big bag in a car I was traveling in. I thought if somebody asked me what's in that bag, I'll tell them it's my lunch. A big, big suitcase. Anyway, not to worry about that. Uh, here's what I want to say to you. Before I was saved, I, I remember jumping over a hedge. Now, admittedly, it was a low hedge, but it was a hedge. Going home from a rugby practice because I saw a preacher's car coming and I wouldn't take a lift with the preacher. I avoided the Christians like the plague, but I was the one of the plague of sin. But you see, from the night God saved me, I was quoting this to two young believers last night. Here's one of the greatest proofs to me that I'm saved. It's 1 John 3 and 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That's the great proof, one of the proofs to me that I'm saved. So this is where the togetherness comes in. If we love them, you'll surely meet with them. Togetherness. Now, I'm going to finish. Now, as the manner of some is, so obviously, a pattern had already been established of some going back, and you're into apostasy and things like that, but we'll not worry about that just now. Now, notice, please, but exhorting one another at the end of verse 25, that is, encouraging one another. Isn't it interesting? Considering one another at the beginning of verse 24, and now encouraging one another at the end of verse 25. I don't know too many saints who don't need encouragement. We all, believe it or not, even I need. Brother Sandy gave me a wee bit of encouragement when I arrived today about another matter. But we, we all need encouragement. Now notice, please, what do you think the last part of the verse means? So much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is it? Well, I don't think it's the rapture. I believe absolutely in the rapture. It may well be, perhaps it is, the day of the Lord. But I'll put it to you this way. Ultimately, the day of the Lord. But I'll tell you what, I'm I'm very sympathetic with this view. Now, some people do hold it. Maybe the majority wouldn't hold it. You know, the destruction of Jerusalem was imminent. Imminent. And they... And the utter, Matthew 24, verse 3, not st- one stone of that temple, but not one stone left upon another. Maybe that's part of the argument here. You can see that day approaching. Well, why go back to something that's going to be destroyed? Think about that anyway. I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic. Scholars tell us that even the Greek doesn't clear the matter up. I don't mean a person when I say the Greek. 
I mean, the Greek language <laughs> doesn't clear the matter up now. I, I think you've, you've listened very well, and, and thank you for your attention. And I maybe was partly encouraged with what our... I don't think in ministry like this that messages all have to follow on. I, I never ever believed that. But sometimes when they do, it's, it's a trifle nice, if you know what I mean. Now, I don't know whether it's trifle for dessert or lunch or not. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for listening. May God bless his word.